Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Could you turn in your Bibles this morning to Job chapter 9 and a marker in 1 Timothy chapter 2. These are unusual studies we've been doing. I've never really taught quite like this, where we take something from the old and compare it uh, halfway through to something in the new. But that's the, uh, that's the approach that we take in a series, Job Meets Jesus. So Job chapter 9 will be Job's great question or cry, and it will be answered in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, we understand that part of our devotion and worship to you is not just telling you things, not just singing songs and truths to you, or it's not really even about how we feel during that time. But part of our true worship is our willingness to be attentive to what you would say to us through your word. And I pray, Father, that you would speak. Some of us will be reminded of familiar things. Others will have encountered these truths for the very first time. We pray, Lord, that nonetheless we would be reminded of what a great Christ we serve. In Jesus' name, amen. I heard a story that Billy Graham flew to Charlotte back home after a crusade and outside of the airport after he landed was this long black limousine to pick him up and take him home. And as they were getting in the car, Dr. Graham went, turned to the limousine driver and said, hey, you know, I'm almost 90 years old and I've never driven a limousine. Do you mind if I drive for a while? So the limo driver said, sure, go ahead. So they got in the car, off they went. Well, if not far away was a, a young rookie state trooper setting up his first speed trap. And that black limo zoomed by doing 70 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone. The trooper was all excited, chased the limo and started his procedure. The car pulled over and that dark driver's window came down revealing the driver as Dr. Billy Graham. State trooper looked at him, gulped, turned red, and said, excuse me. Went back to his car, wired his supervisor, and said, look, I know that I'm supposed to uphold the law, but I also know that certain courtesies are given to important people. I've got somebody here really important. I don't know what to do. The supervisor asked, well, is it the governor? And the young trooper said, nope, more important than that. The supervisor said, well, is it the president? Nope. More important than that. Well, now the supervisor's curiosity is piqued. And he said, well, tell me who it is. And the state trooper said, I think it must be Jesus. Because he's got Billy Graham as his chauffeur. <laughs> Well, i got to tell you, I feel the same way about the book of Job. It is far more important than most people make it out to be. This book has been lauded by 
people who have said it is great literature, like George Moore of Harvard University, who said the book of Job is the greatest work of Hebrew literature that has come down to us. Nope, it's more important than that. Others say it is the highest poetical work of mankind. Alfred Lord Tennyson, poet laureate of England, called Job the greatest poem of ancient or modern times. Nope, it's even more important than that. Others place it among the classics, like the works of William Shakespeare, or the work of Dante or Milton and others. But no, it's far more important than any of those adulations. And here's why. Number one is because it's divinely inspired. And number two, because out of this book echoes the deepest cries of humanity for things spiritual or for things in life. The deepest, darkest feelings of man emerge through Job. And when we hear him arguing with his friends and wrestling with issues about God and life and the purpose of suffering, we're getting that deep heart cry for the most important things. So, the book of Job, though it highlights a man who is suffering, it shows us, perhaps more than any other Old Testament book, our need for Jesus Christ. Because all of the things Job cries for or wants are fulfilled in Christ and really not until Christ. In chapter 9, at the end of this chapter, Job is crying out for a person, a very specific kind of person, a helper, a very special kind of helper, a middleman. And, and in studying this, we are studying something that might be new for some of you and considering the great redemptive work of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do is look at the cry of Job and then the answer of Jesus. What Job asked for, I, I need a helper, and then Jesus stepping forward in the New Testament saying, Help has arrived. So I take you to chapter 9, beginning in verse 32 for context. We'll read to verse 35. Job is speaking of God. For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us, who may lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and do not let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. He cries in verse 33 for a mediator. There is no mediator who can lay his hand on us both. Listen to that in the Living Bible translation. For there is no umpire between us, no middleman, no mediator to bring us together. Now, Job obviously understands there's a gap, there's a chasm between he and God. And so he cries for a mediator, a middleman. Typically, when you hear or think of the word middleman, you think not of somebody good, because we're talking these days about cutting out the middleman. You've seen the ads. Buy factory direct, cut out the middleman. So if you have a manufacturer and a retailer and a customer 
if you were to cut out the middleman, the retailer, and the customer could go directly to the manufacturer, you'd have a substantial savings. That's the idea. So let's say a farmer makes butter, and neighbor Bob buys a pound of butter from the farmer for $2 a pound. Then neighbor Bob sells the butter to the local store for $3 a pound, and the local store sells it to you and I, the customer, for $5 a pound. Well, what if you could cut out neighbor Bob and the store? And what if you as a customer could go directly to the farmer? You've just saved $3 a pound on butter. So the more people get involved, the more levels of distribution, the more people to get paid and the price goes up. And if you cut those middle people away, that's the thought, there will be a savings. But here Job asks for a middleman, what he calls a mediator. Now why does he do that? Because there's a service that only this type of middleman can perform. Job understands two things. Number one, God is great. Number two, I am not. God is so transcendent and so mighty and so powerful. And I am so puny and not that. There's this huge gap between us. I want you to see that. I want you to see how he speaks of God beginning in verse 5. Go back with me and, and, and follow. He removes the mountains and they do not know it. When he overturns them in his anger, he shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades, those constellations you see, and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? And who can say to him, what are you doing? God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate beneath him. How then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. You see what Job is saying? There's this huge gulf between uh, deity and humanity, between heaven and earth, between spirit and flesh. I notice that gap. I realize how big and great God is and that I am not those things. So I need someone special. I need an intermediary, a mediator, an umpire, a middleman, what he cries for. Now, people recognize their need for God. Now, I'm saying this very generally. I know people at their proudest moments do not, but get them at their crisis moments. Get a person struck by a disease. The person who says, never actually says to you, um, I'll pray about that, never thinks about God. Maybe you know a person like that you work with. But in a crisis personal crisis or a 9-11 type of crisis. Watch that person come to you and say, hey, next time you pray, would you mind praying for me? Or I've been praying lately. 
That person will cry out to God. It's man saying, I need to reach God. But how can I? Well, you can't without a bridge, an intermediary, a mediator, as he calls it. I want you to look back at verse 33. And here's why Job asked for a mediator. Notice the second part of that verse. Who may lay his hand on us both. Don't miss that. Because that is the definition of a mediator. This is what a mediator does. He stands between two parties that are not reconciled and brings them together. Lays a hand on one, so to speak. Lays a hand on another and brings them together. He mediates. He's the bridge between those parties. If there's a gap, he'll fill the gap. A lawyer is a mediator, a defense attorney. Stands in a law court uh, with a defendant who doesn't know the legal system, but now who is in trial. But this lawyer knows the legal system and, and he knows how to bridge the gap between justice represented by the judge and the defendant and he can bring them together. A counselor is a mediator. could take two parties that are at odds with each other and in a counseling session or several sessions help them understand one another and bring them together. I've talked to women who say things like, I'll never understand men. These are married women who are married to men. Or men who go, I just don't get women. Okay, well, now this is dawning on you after how long? Opposites do attract, but now you're saying we don't understand each other and now there's an impasse in the relationship. A good counselor will help them both understand one another. When she is saying this, this is what she is meaning. Oh, I get it. A very important role, a mediator. Or an interpreter. If you've ever been in a foreign country, you don't speak the language, but you have somebody there who can interpret for you uh, both what you hear and what you say. Important, invaluable. Several years ago, I went to Iraq. I had the privilege of being in Baghdad. And I brought with me 32,000 of your presents, uh, Christmas boxes, shoe boxes, um, across the Jordanian border into Baghdad. I was in a room and I was meeting with the minister of religious affairs under the reign of Saddam Hussein for the country of Iraq. Now, you could not have two polar opposites, more polar opposites than that in a room. Me, a Christian minister from America. Okay, we had just bombed them. little perspective here. And the minister of religious affairs, a Muslim under Saddam Hussein's regime, and we're communicating together. Couldn't have been done without a mediator. And luckily there was one. Sammy Dagger, a friend of mine, a pastor from Beirut, Lebanon, spoke Arabic, knows Muslim custom, knows Iraqi culture, sat in that room and interpreted between me and this minister and other cabinet members. And even in the conversation, could lay a hand on me and lay a hand on that minister and bring us together. So much so that at the end of the conversation, this is what the Minister of Religious Affairs for Iraq said. He said to me, up until this point, I have always believed that the West hates us and Christians, especially in the West, hate us. 
But now I understand that it is the Christians who are the ones that love us. That could not have been done without the help of a mediator, someone who understood both languages, both cultures, both parties, and could bring us together by himself being that bridge. That's what a mediator does, and that is what Job cries out for. Well, that's the same need we have today. Because any thinking person who uses reason, logic, looking around at this world will come to the conclusion there must be a God. He looks around at what has been, at least it looks like, designed. This this ordered cosmos looks as if it anticipated human life. And so by looking at how things are designed, he comes to the conclusion there must be a designer. best example I can think of was a man named Antony Flew. I don't know if you've heard his name. Antony Flew was probably the most famous intellectual atheist of modern times. Until 2004, when he shocked the world with this statement, and I quote, God must exist. And this universe must be the product of an intelligent designer. Here was a thinking man looking around at this huge, wonderful, beautiful world and came to the conclusion there must be a God. Okay, but then you've got to take the next step. How can I, as a human, make contact with this God? I mean, wh- what do I do? Do I just, uh, uh, just start praying uh, in the air, uh, any person, anywhere, and God will just kind of take that? Do, is that all I do? Do I come on my own terms? Is there a bridge that will connect me? Do I join some religious system or path of enlightenment that will lead me to God? How do I get to know this designer? Well, Job cries out for a mediator. But I want you to look at verse 33 more carefully in terms of who's around him. Who's around him, by the way? Three friends, right? This is a conversation Job is having with Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. But Job says, implying something about them, nor is there any mediator between us who can lay his hand on us both. Now these three guys were Job's buddies and they were good friends as long as they shut up. They sat there and they they wept with him and and, um, uh, they showed compassion. But then one day they decided to speak because Job, he shot out his feelings and so they correspondingly shout out their feelings and basically they say God is righteous you must be wicked because you're suffering and you're just getting what you deserve so what Job is saying is you're no help you're not a mediator you're not an advocate you're not an umpire for me you're accusing me you have no help at all and they thought they were but they weren't well nothing really has changed Today, in the midst of humanity crying out to know God, there's no shortage of would-be mediators who will say, Oh, I know, I know how to fix this. I'll bring you into contact with God. I'll show you the path of enlightenment. I'll be your guru. I'll be your spiritual guide. I'll, for a fee, read your horoscope or tell your fortune or read your palm. There's no shortage of would-be contacts or mediators between man and God. 
Years ago, Bob Dylan wrote a song acknowledging this plethora of would-be religious guides in a song, and the lyrics go, spiritual advisors and gurus to guide your every move, instant inner peace, and every step you take has got to be approved. (laughs) It's a song called, When You're Gonna Wake Up. Well, Job cried out for that, and what Job wanted, he never got. Nobody was around in his generation to be his mediator. This is early on in the Old Testament. Later on, a priesthood would be developed. But a priest was only one who represented the people before God. And much later on, the prophets would come. But prophets were only people who represented God to the people. There was not one person who would do both representing God and representing man and bringing both parties together. That's what Job is crying out for. Now, here's what a lot of people don't understand. They hear what I say about there's this gap between us and God, and you say, what's the big deal? What we don't understand is that sin, by its very nature, is so vile and corrupt, and God is so perfect and holy that our sin creates this huge, impassable gap unless something is done. Listen to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 59, verse 1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is His ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. Well, that's a very, very insightful text. Here's God. Yep, He's powerful. Yep, He can hear everything. Yep, He can do anything. But sin is such a separator that God won't hear unless something is done. So you hear Job's cry. I need a broker. I need a spiritual broker. I need somebody who will bridge the gap between me and God. Well, this is where the New Testament gives the answer. Now we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And Jesus steps out and would say, Job... Help has arrived. In the person of Christ, the cry is answered. The middleman steps forward. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm beginning in verse 4. Speaking of God, Paul says, He desires, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Did you get that? God wants everybody to be saved. God wants all men, all women, all children, all old people, all Muslims, all Americans, all Buddhists, all people from all races, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay? So what is he going to do about it? Verse 5, For there is one God, one God, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Finally, we have a go-between. One who can lay his hand on God, lay his hand on mankind, and bring us together. Allow me to give you a snippet of background so you understand where Paul is coming from. This will help. When Paul is writing this New Testament letter, there was a prevailing belief system that had infiltrated even the Christian church known as Gnosticism. Anybody ever heard of Gnosticism? Okay, let me tell you about it because it seems like only a few have. Um, Gnosticism uh, believed in a dualistic universe. There was the material and there was the spiritual. You have matter and you have spirit. The Gnostics said... 
Everything material is bad. Everything spiritual is good. Matter is evil. Spirit is good. Thus, said the Gnostic, God, who is spirit and perfect, could not have created the material world. So, said the Gnostic, a series of sub-gods or emanations went out from the true God and kept going and kept going until finally there was one sub-god, some entity, some emanation who was so far removed from God that he didn't even know God and that sub-god could touch matter and that sub-god created the material universe. That's what the Gnostics said. And so Paul is writing this letter and says, No, that's not right. There aren't a whole bunch of gods. There's just one true God and only one intermediary between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's all that we need. What this tells me is that if I approach God, I don't need to go through angels. I don't need to pray to any saints. I don't need to go through Mary or anybody else. I go directly to God through one way, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not what Jesus said? Did not he tell his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Very exclusive. One God and one mediator. Now, Jesus is the perfect mediator. He's the perfect representative. Because he's God and man. He is the anthropos, fully God, thus perfect, but fully human and can touch God and can touch humanity and can mediate between us. Now just notice again in verse 5, there is one God. Now that is the foundational truth of all Scripture. There's one God. There's not 300 million gods. There's one God. So here you have Judaism, a monotheistic culture, surrounded at that time by lots of polytheistic cultures. There's one God, only one. The rest of them, call call it whatever you want. There's only one God, one true God. Today we live in a pluralistic culture. And in a pluralistic society, it goes like this. The God of the Christian, the God of the Jews, and the God of the Hindus, and the God of the Buddhists, and the God of the Muslims, it's all the same God, just different names. Well, that's a self-contradictory statement. It's self-contradictory because if you look up the definition in Hinduism or in Buddhism or in Christianity or any Muslim, uh, Islam, the definition of God, you find out that both of them can't be true at the same time. You cannot have an unlimited God and a limited God at the same time. It's either one or the other. Either they're both wrong or one's right and one's wrong. So Paul is making a very important statement. There's just one God. And if there's only one God that we're going to deal with, I'm not going to stand before the God of the Hindus or the 300 million gods of the Hindus or the gods of the Buddhists or Muslim or anything else. I'm going to stand before one true God someday. That's the one I have to deal with. So how do I deal with Him? How do I get to Him? One way. Jesus Christ, the mediator. One way. One bridge. There's not several ways. There's one way. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. 
The Apostle says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We must be saved. And we must be saved through Jesus. Because he's, he's the mediator. I'm not fond of ants, generally. I, I don't get along with those little critters. And uh, a true confession, when I was a kid, in summertime, I tortured ants. Uh, my dad had a big magnifying glass, and I took it out of his desk. And have you ever done that? Boys will do this. Um, you place it under the sun, and you get the rays just correctly focused, and those ants will just burn because of the sun concentrated into that glass. So I'd go out and burn ants. It was cool. Later on, I discovered that you could take hairspray or some flammable thing in a can, light a match, and it was like firebombing the ants. That was even cooler for a young kid. Now, some of you are right now kind of getting creeped out. You're the more compassionate, tender-hearted, loving all of God's creatures kind. Okay, good. Let's say it's Saturday morning. Oh, and by the way, I don't do that anymore. There's this, there's this new thing called raid. That I do. So let's say you, you're feeling extra compassion for a bunch of ants. And you decide it's Saturday morning. It's a nice day. Skip's going to get up today and go into his backyard. I better head over there quick. So you rush over to my house before I get out there. And you find all of the ants in their ant pile. And you turn to them and you go, Run! Flee! The bad man with the big can. He'll be out here soon and you'll be dead. Will that help? Will your speaking to them help? Of course not. You're a human. Those are ants. They don't get it. They can't understand you. Your only hope of saving those ants is if you could somehow become an ant and get down to their level. And if you could become an ant and get down to their level and warn them, you would be the savior of the ants. You would be the perfect mediator between Skip and the ants. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, stepped out of heaven, the perfect mediator, the God-man, to give us the way to salvation. He's the bridge. He's the bridge. Now, this is how it works. Verse 6, and we'll close out the thought and end here. This is how he can do it. This is how he do, This is the, the, the highest work of mediation possible. Verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus paid the price and it was his life. He's the perfect representative because he's the perfect ransom. Now I'm going to tell you about this sentence real quick. Paul uses a word that is really unique. In fact, it's it's the only time the word appears in the entire Bible, whole, entire New Testament. The Greek word he chose for ransom is a word antilutron. It's only found here. In fact, it's not even found in classical Greek. It's as if Paul coined a new word for something he wanted to say. Antilutron. Jesus is the ransom. Now, there's a similar word in other places, like in the Gospels, when Jesus said about himself, the Son of Man has come to give his life a ransom for many. Same English word. The Greek word is simply lutron, ransom. Here, Paul 
puts a preposition before that word, which intensifies it. He's anti-lutron. In other words, Jesus didn't just pay the price. He didn't pay the ransom. He was the ransom. He was the payment. He stepped in with his own life. Thus, the highest work of mediation was on the cross. On the cross, with his arms stretched out, grabbing, so to speak, God and man and bringing us together by his blood. That's the thought. He is the ransom who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And that is so often neglected even in Christians' minds that we don't realize that our sin is so great and separates us so much and the gap is so impassable that unless the perfect representative with the perfect sacrifice comes, all hope is lost. Liberal churches miss this. They don't want to talk about the blood of Christ. They don't want to talk about the cross of Christ. They want to talk about Jesus as the good man and wonderful teacher There was a a preacher years ago named D.M. Stearns. Dr. Stearns preached in a church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And he preached on the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, the cross of Christ. Well, afterwards, somebody came up to him in that church and said, Dr. Stearns, I think that you don't speak well about Christ, spending all of your time speaking about his death and the cross and the need of sacrifice. I wish that you would talk about Jesus as a good example and as a wonderful teacher. So Dr. Stern said, let me ask you a question. If I were to present Jesus Christ as a good teacher and a wonderful example, would you follow him? I most certainly would. And Dr. Stern said, okay, good, let's start this way. Jesus Christ was absolutely sinless and perfect. Are you? Can you follow him in that? The man said, well, no, I mean, I admit, I have flaws, I have sin. And Dr. Stearns replied, then your greatest need is not an example, but a Savior. And that is what so often we miss. Our greatest need is a Savior. That's why the first words of Jesus on the cross were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. By the way, that's why we pray in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer. We don't pray to God and say, I pray this in Fred's name. I pray this in my name. Ha! You come to God only one way, and that is in the name of Jesus. That's how he taught us to pray. Because that is the bridge. He is the mediator that brings us to God. The whole Bible is a story of redemption. The whole Bible is a story of redemption from beginning to end. And as we read through the Bible, we understand there's this huge gap between humanity and deity and the nature of sin is so vile to god and that gap cannot be bridged unless unless someone who is god and man perfect who lived the life we could never live and then died the atoning death made a way so jesus is the full revelation of god and the highest work of mediation was his death on the cross So what Job cries for, Jesus answers. Everybody has that cry. I believe every person, get them deep in their heart, is crying out to know God and saying, how how can I make contact with God? Blaise Pascal, that 
great French mathematician and philosopher, said there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person. It can only be filled by God Himself. St. Augustine said, We are restless until we find our rest in Thee. Solomon even wrote, God has placed eternity in our hearts. We're crying out to know God. Jesus has made the way. He is the bridge. He is the middleman. And if you're ever going to come to God, you must come through Him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have provided not only this wonderful life and this wonderful arena called Christianity for us, but the only way we can become Christians is because a steep price was paid. A ransom was paid. And it was your son himself, the ransom, the sacrifice. The one who stood in the gap and took the pain and the punishment and gave us his righteousness as we saw last week. But now we understand the need and the insight that Job had in expressing his need for a mediator. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his perfect life and his atoning death. And thank you that we approach him or approach you in his name by his merit based on what he has done that gives us access to you as our father. That's why we come to you in Jesus' name. And pray in Jesus' name and worship in Jesus' name because we can only get to you through His name, His merit. Lord, I pray for anybody here who doesn't know Jesus. Good people, religious people, all sorts of different backgrounds. They've looked around, being thinking people. They've come to the realization there must be a God, there must be a designer behind this design. But how can I ever get to know Him? We can through Christ. I pray that will become a reality for many more this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.